0: Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai is now available on Amazon Prime for you to watch all 10 episodes, as well as on Max, the subsidiary of the Warner Streaming Service. And the producer of that series dropped by to talk about all of it. So, of course, you realize this means podcast. Are you ready, eager young space cadets? Meep, meep. I saw a he came. That is the limit! long, 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 Where's there was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello, and welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today, it is a pleasure to introduce you to the mind, one of the minds behind Gremlin's Secret of the Mogwai, a prequel series behind one of the most classic 80s movies of our generation and so many others. Brendan, hey, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: It is an honor to chat with you and to discuss these little green creatures with you exactly. as we're going to dive into <laughs> the origins and where Christopher Columbus might have come up with an idea like this. Yeah, who knows?
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, nobody knows for certain, but I feel like there's definitely uh, there's inklings of where uh, these little fellows may have appeared before. Uh, and Absolutely. definitely things of where they may have where Joe Dante may have fallen in love with Gremlins before uh, the films.
0: I love that. And uh, Joe Dante, as you mentioned, that's the director of the first two Gremlins movies, Gremlins and Gremlins, a new batch. And speaking of new batches, we have the last batch of Looney Tunes cartoons, which we're mm-hmm. going to talk about um, a a short within that new series. Um, but the last batch has dropped on Max, and I highly, highly encourage you to go watch it. Check it out. Wonderful art all across the board. Fantastic animation, and it's a throwback series, so it pulls from the classics. Like it pulls from what we're going to be talking about, yeah. Bob Clampett shorts, and the Gremlin makes an appearance. <laughs> and we're going to get into that. And just so you know, if you're tiny or toony or just a little bit loony, <laughs> we are going to talk about Tiny Toons. It is coming. And I cannot wait to have new guests and newfound appreciation for the classics, the adventure series, and the Steven Spielberg Presents, the new series, the University series. So we're going to be discussing all the Tiny Toons. Get excited because that is coming. But now... Let's dive into the Gremlins. Yeah.
1: They become clever. <laughs> mischievous. What's
0: going on here?
1: And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Eh?
0: Little monsters. Right.
1: Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante.
0: So, Brendan, Let's let's start with you. What is your sure. first memory of the Gremlins? Like, where did you first come into contact with these little green creatures of mischief? <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, it definitely was the 80s film version. It, that's what my first memory of Gremlins is that. And specifically, I had uh, the classic kind of of that age range, a book with a 45 uh, record of yeah, like the yeah. kind of like, yeah, telling you the story of Gremlins. So I had that, loved it which is why then when like kind of late that summer into its release, I was spending a weekend at my older cousins and they were going to see gremlins and it was, Oh, like I don't, cause I was younger than them. I was like six or seven when okay. it came out and they were all like kind of early teens, but it was the like, Oh, I know gremlins. Yeah, no, I won't be scared. I'll be totally fine. And went along and it was totally scared. It freaked me out to no end. Um, it turns <laughs> out the, 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 Uh, the adaptation for little kids left out a lot of the gore and uh, Santa Claus monologue and things like that. So uh, um, yeah, (laughs) I was not as excited. I totally was. I was nowhere near as prepared as I thought I was, but it was great because it totally, it was like, especially the thing I remember being really freak freaking me out was actually now something I absolutely love was the mom section, the section of like Billy's mom versus the gremlins in the kitchen and the house and everything like that. Um, and you yeah afterwards I yeah, <laughs> so good oh my god and by the way how amazingly tough is she like every improvisation of like i ne- you never look at a kitchen the same way as you see all these instruments of destruction <laughs> oh, you hear what I hear? a song a song
0: high above the tree with a voice <laughs>
1: But yeah no it freaked me out but i loved it and couldn't stop thinking about it and wanting more and more gremlins so it was kind of my gateway to horror comedy uh and something i still love dearly to today um we joked um z the uh the showrunner and other executive producer we constantly joked that everybody on our crew was somebody who watched gremlins a little too young uh <laughs> and i like it's just this constant thing of like everybody was the like yeah no i watched it it kind of messed me up but i've also never stopped wanting to be a part of it and that's kind of where we all came from and it's funny because i remembered a few years after that where i grew up they had merry uh, melodies every sunday morning on channel nine on the east coast there so yeah. i'd always watch them and that was at some point later seeing uh was it uh falling the falling hair, hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. that was just then putting even there a little bit of two and two together at probably only like you know seven or eight of like oh okay so this is a gremlin too so like gremlins i guess exist in my mind as like maybe there's like years of gremlins fiction out there not realizing this not a whole lot between falling hair and 1984's film but like in my mind it was like oh okay i wonder if these are connected they kind of feel similar
0: right so it's fascinating because raul Dahl, the guy yeah. who made the chocolate factory willie Wonka in the chocolate factory um he was working on this book called gremlins and disney walt disney wanted it he wanted to mm-hmm. adapt it And he put out a mandate for other studios not to do anything with Gremlins. Well, everyone listened except (laughs) for Warner Brothers. (laughs) That sounds very. Warner Brothers put out The Falling Hair in 1943, uh, directed by Bob Clampett. And, you know, I guess let's get into it. So this is written by Warren Foster with... Incredible animation uh, yeah. by Rob Scribner and a musical score that is unmatched by Cross Calling. Yeah. The way that the gremlin just tricks and tricks and tricks Bugs Bunny, like Bugs Bunny had just come onto the scene in a big way three years prior. Mm -hmm. And already within the first three years, he's been put through the ringer. And this is one of those times where someone, an antagonist gets under his skin And he can't do anything about it. He's, he's doing his utmost to remain cool, but it's really impossible when this gremlin is wreaking havoc, throwing him onto a military air fighter and just kind of dive bombing without him having Mm -hmm. control over the situation. So you, you said you grew up with this short. I grew up with this short. It meant a lot to me and when I saw Joe Dante's The Gremlins, I also equated it to the Bugs Bunny short and being like, oh, maybe this is like somehow tangentially related, but obviously the coloring's different. And yeah. watching it, I noticed he has red gloves, but like blood red gloves. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that was intentional. <laughs> like he's, he's known to get his hands really dirty.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's going to be caught red handed doing everything. Um, Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it is, there's two things. Like one was, it blew me away. Cause yeah, also I was just rewatching it before recording here. Um, And I forgot, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is the rare short, at least from my recollection where it's like, bugs is totally out that it is yeah. just like he in no at no point does he really ever end up with an upper hand over this gremlin uh there's like the great gag that wraps it all up but it's like otherwise if, if not for the comedy bugs totally is on the losing end of everything which you never see um exactly. but the other thing is yeah is re- realizing all the connections of all the things kind of inspire it's like this gremlin it's more of a low-key energy but he still has that like joyful chaos vibe that like the Joe Dante, Chris Columbus gremlins have where it is just like, Oh, um, it's not mean spirited trickster. It is just a trickster. That's just kind of like, it just lives and breathes chaos it, as it has fun, just living. It is going to ruin everyone around it. Like its idea of life and fun is just misery and pain to everybody else. Um, so I saw that inspiration. And then the other thing that popped in my head was actually, because um, for related the other thing always when people think of gremlins is like a gremlin on the wing. And I'm also now right. wondering, because I had forgot the shot where it is like the gremlin outside the plane window and bugs looking at it. Mm-hmm. So then I also started thinking today, I'm like, wait a second, Rod Serling or whoever it was who wrote that episode of Twilight Zone. I'm like, wait, did he see this too? Because then, which then I think it also triggered in my mind. I want to say there was a Tiny Toons that did um, Plucky with like a gremlin on the where wing. I and It was... Yeah, yeah i want to yeah. say there was a gag in tiny Toons. that one i haven't had a chance to go back and rewatch today but like i th- if kind of remember that is that correct
0: that is correct yeah okay so they, they did a series of um twilight zone inspired shorts within its oh, okay own, yeah. like night ghoulery series <laughs> and that was one of them but yes richard matheson actually wrote a short story called nightmare at Twenty Thousand feet and then it was adapted into mm. that twilight zone episode sure yeah quickly there's a man out there. What? Look,
1: look, he's crawling on...
0: Nick Cravat played the gremlin, and William Shatner yes. played the guy who sees
1: something exactly. on the
0: wing. And it is yes. phenomenal. But yeah, like, that also has to stem from this. Like, there's no way right? it doesn't from this. It has to. It is so... It is so methodically planned out, and the way that they incorporate a, a airplane with a creature of mass destruction, it just makes sense. It yeah. is terrifying in the <laughs> Twilight Zone, but it's hysterical in the Bugs Bunny short. Oh, so good. I think it just blends both mm-hmm. uh, toned as does your gremlin series it has a lot of horror elements Mm -hmm. Uh, i would say it's gateway horror
1: that's our goal yep exactly for
0: families and it also has a lot of humor Mm -hmm. so with both i'm guessing you guys went back and like you you looked at what came before and i'm just gonna like break into the Mm -hmm. gremlin series for a moment yeah please So you did the story of Sam Wing, who we see as the older gentleman who has the Mogwai, who he is afraid to sell um, to the father of the protagonist in Gremlins. And his story is yet to be told. And you take it back to whenever he was a kid. Was there any was there any other time frame that you wanted to play with or was it always let's let's develop Sam Wing more?
1: It was always that. Um, okay. It was, yeah, it goes back to uh, z Chun, who I said, um, he was the other executive producer and he was the showrunner. Um, he had, him and Sam Register, who is the head of Warner Animation, um, Sam had just basically had a very quick conversation with Spielberg and Amblin about trying to do a Gremlin series. And Sam was the one who's like, rather than try to ever figure out what a sequel would be, because Joe Dante has, I think, accurately and famously kind of said that his goal with Gremlins 2 was to create a sequel-proof movie because he didn't want to keep making them. So he's like, I want to just make it as wild and off the wall as possible. Um, So rather than try to in any way one-up that, the idea was put out like, let's make a prequel. Let's do something that kind of goes back to how Gizmo and Mr. Wing originally met, and then Z landed on the take of like, Let's go 10 year, He's 10 years old in Shanghai and kind of started crafting this story. And then myself and other folks, uh, we all kind of came in early on and kind of just kept help fleshing it out from there uh, and especially ca- answering the questions of kind of where it all came from.
0: And Zee Chun is also known for his work on *I Am Virgo* and mm-hmm. uh, a, a myriad of other projects that you will know in the future. But <laughs> his work in this is so great, and and you guys like made a perfect pair for this because mm-hmm. I feel like you came at it from the right angle. Like this was the way to do it. It was to you know bring that sense of adventure, sense of mystery into a modern era through animation, and I think yes. it's gorgeous, and I I, I love everything about it so we're gonna get there um but let's go back to the falling hair real quick sure yeah hey get a load of this folks it says here a constant menace to pilots are the gremlins who wreck planes with their diabolical sabotage (laughs) gremlins (laughs) <laughs> oh, murder. So it takes place in a U.S. Army airfield, and Bugs is sitting on a blockbuster missile, just hanging out, and, uh, you know, as you do, uh,
1: reading,
0: reading a parody of Victory <laughs> Through Air Power <laughs> yeah, I love that. by by a book called Victory Through Hair Power. Um, and he's quickly breaking the fourth wall, like, letting us in on, like, he sees us. He, he wants to bring us in. He wants to tell us, like, His world and our world are somewhat connected, if you will. Again, I think that leads credence to the gremlin showing up in our world. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with whenever Bugs breaks the fourth wall, like what possibilities in narrative that can bring about. Mm -hmm. So immediately he starts laughing and telling us gremlins are the weirdest, craziest thing you could ever come up with. And the fact that this book is talking about them is so weird. And I love the way that he reads diabolical sabotage. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it was like diabolical sabotage um, which is definitely the name of this episode <laughs> <I'm not laughs> of of um, and then the gremlin shows up voiced by Bob Clampett one of the only mm-hmm. times Bob actually did a voice Yeah, so it's Mel Blanc and Bob Clampett just kind of riffing with each other and making each other go insane <laughs> yeah hey could that have been a gremlin it ain't I love the little nuances so when bugs gets whopped upside the head with an a a, one of those heavy wrenches he turns into one of those caricatures of a character who doesn't know where he's going and he's like which way did he go george which way did he go and the Mm -hmm. gremlin crosses his eyes and then points in both directions (laughs) and he goes that way (laughs) yeah and then bugs like lands into the the dirt with both teeth just planting himself and i just i love the fact that they went for it like this Mm -hmm. is a cartoon that had that holds nothing back and they they put bugs into a serious situation that no one would survive Mm -hmm. if that plane were to explode or like get to that you know get to the surface level and it it's so funny that it runs out of uh, gas and and just like that's the that's the gag, and it's so it, it's an interesting parallel because the gremlin and bugs are in on it for the audience's sake, and then if you go to. high speed hair the 2021 version the gremlin is still going after bugs and goes i can get out and push and he basically pushes the car to explosion
1: yeah (laughs) the the homage and then one upping of that ending in high speed is so good because it is like (laughs) because it's like it's funny it started across my mind also the thing i love on both of them they draw out the the falling plane and and falling hair and then the falling car in high speed (laughs) it's drawn out so well it's like building tension in a ridiculous way like just bugs facing death like and again the gag in high speed especially him carving his own tombstone while going down is hilarious and cracks me up so it's like oh it's you know this and then as they're doing in high speed i'm like oh i get the homage you're kind of probably going to end the same way and sure enough it does with like okay out of gas crisis averted and then no, I can get out and push, and it's like a nuke. It's a literally nuclear explosion yes. <laughs> that they take it to. In that case, I'm like, oh, well done. You took it. You you gave me what I wanted, and then found something more.
0: Exactly, and that's that's what I admire about it. And uh, the tombstone that he graves it says, "That's all, folks." Yeah, and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> little, little <reference laughs> there. And the, the the joke is is so well timed as well because it is playing on the fact that electric cars have limited um range <laughs> yeah. and I have a friend who has uh electric car and he always has to like charge it before he leaves my place yep. <laughs> And yeah. it's so weird that like that's a part of life.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's equally like kind of like perfect for the time period because it I had to it's funny rewatching today I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, I never really got that the last line of the original is that thing about like oh, this always happens with a cards. And I'm like, I'm like, and now I realize that looking it looking up today, I'm like, oh, it was like gas rationing. It was like talking about like a very specific issue of the time during war. So I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, okay. And then their version was like, yeah, electric cars and like the specific problem that somebody driving that would face.
0: Right. Can, can you imagine somebody 50 years from now watching that short? You know, the, the new one and being yeah. like. What are they talking about? Limited range?
1: <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And, yeah, you know, as they look in their mind internet to be like, oh, apparently that was a problem back in yeah. <laughs> speak to
0: me, Mister Bunny Rabbit. Why won't you speak to me? I got some choice words for you. On uh, second thought, save your breath. Loss of navigational control. Steering wheel not found. Exactly. So. The, the falling hair is a a fantastic short. If you haven't watched it in a while, it is mm-hmm. on Max, and I highly recommend it. Actually, all of the the shows and all the shorts yeah. we're talking about are on Max. Very convenient. As just say,
1: <laughs> yeah, get your Max subscription and enjoy. Just hang out.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, moving into high speed hair, I love how they did the title card. So falling mm. hair has the. Action lines going down and high speed hair has him going to the right direction as as if you're in a car speeding along the freeway. And, and immediately you're thrown into this the situation where Bugs is like tired of walking and he needs a vehicle and he finds this car lot that's apparently abandoned because yeah. he just like goes into this electric yeah, you're car right. <laughs> and it allows him to turn it on and just like take off and he's enjoying the ride until he opens up the, the manual and it says electric cars attract gremlins <laughs> and he does the same thing he starts laughing breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. going oh my god what's a gremlin that's the most ridiculous thing and then all of a sudden a gremlin is on his shoulder and then uh brilliantly voiced by Bob Bergen, by the way, who Mm -hmm. is known for voicing Porky Pig in this series. And I think he does a really good job of also bringing the Gremlin to life here Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, And he immediately goes for the computer. He's got to eat the the main control computer, the touchscreen computer for the car. And then the steering wheel breaks off. He presses all the buttons and everything. And just utter mayhem. The fact that you have the Mogwai and these creatures that stem from him, while allowing gizmo to remain cute and remain innocent, mm-hmm. I love that touch. And I know that that was changed from the, one of the first drafts to one yeah. one in the cinema. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: A little bit, just because I've always been curious. I had heard that kind of, again, like anecdotally, like we all hadn't gotten to speak to Joe Dante about that. And apparently the change came really late in the game. Like they were, I want to say like, just like six weeks out from starting to shoot. And They were showing off uh, the gizmo puppet. And again, at that point, the plan had still been okay. He's, you know, cute, adorable, furry Maguire for the first 20 minutes. He eats after midnight with the rest of them. And he actually turns into Stripe and is Stripe the rest of the movie trying to kill everybody. And Spielberg saw the puppet and was basically like, that's way too cute. You can't, you can't have that go bad. Like that's, that's your sidekick. It's becomes a boy in his dog movie. You need that. That guy has to stay good with Billy the whole way through. Um, and so they, you know, they rallied, they figured it out and all work and it worked great. But Joe, uh, gives full credit to Spielberg on that. He's like, yeah, he saw it and he was right. And that probably is what turned it from being kind of like the, Here's the uh here's like the really fun, awesome horror movie that appeals to like this one niche to, you know, even as a six or seven year old loving it as a kid, because you're like, you know what? Like these things are terrifying, but like I get to go on an adventure with like this like the coolest pet on the planet. And, like, yeah, of course I want to.
0: Has it got a name, Dad? Yeah, Mogwai. What? Mogwai. I don't know, some Chinese word. I just call him Gizmo. He seems to like it. Wow. The baby Yoda of the '80s. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: absolutely. I can yeah. I should put my headphones and I still have one of my uh, Gizmo toys in the closet over here from the '80s. Yeah, he was so cute. Yeah. Everybody wanted him. Of course. Yeah.
0: And I, you know, I think that is a brilliant note, and I'm so glad that they adhered to that. And I think that just speaks to Spielberg's storytelling yeah. genius, and you know, his his power of. A, a knowing the audience and knowing what they would connect with. And I, I, I just think it was executed perfectly. And I'm so glad that um, that, that stayed to be the case. Yeah. Um, so with Bugs in this voiced awesomely by Eric Bauza, yeah, Bowser, um, yeah, he so also good. does a rendition of sci- or Diabolical Sabotage a little bit, yeah. starting with the word sale.
1: That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he walks up. Sally. and Sally. Oh, self-driving cars for Sally. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's such a nice little touch.
0: It was. In this cartoon, they also talk about, um, well, while while I'm on that note, automobiles (laughs) is one of my favorite (laughs) readings as well. Yeah. Um, That, that just cracked me up. Um, But Bugs, while he's in this luxurious car, is offered chocolate covered carrots. So Brendan, have you ever had a chocolate covered carrot before? (laughs)
1: Surprisingly, no, and I'm just thinking, I'm like, my kids, I have t- seven-year-old twins who uh, love to constantly make their own meals, and considering they love both chocolate and carrots, I'm actually shocked, because I've had, I've had almond butter-covered carrots uh, from them, and uh, there's been a lot of things that carrots have been uh, mixed with, but I'm like, surprisingly, they have yet to do that, so I'll get them on the case, I want to see how it tastes.
0: Me too, <laughs> let me yeah. know.
1: <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, I'll pass it on. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Um, they, they look delicious in the cartoon. It does. But it's obviously animated.
1: <laughs> Sure. Yeah, but it, it, it sells it.
0: <laughs> it does. It does. Oh, carrots are divine. You get a dozen for a dime. It's magic. And obviously we have callbacks. We have Bugs holding on for dear life as the Gremlin is attacking him with a crowbar while holding on to the, the front of the car. And then Bugs is like, "No, no, no! Let me do this." And he takes the crowbar and he starts, you know, prying himself off of the car, yeah. <laughs> just the same way as he took the the mallet before to uh, so blow himself bottom. up. And then, yeah. he's like, whoa! Oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? (laughs) It's just the way that this gremlin gets into this character's head, and this character is the most powerful Looney Tune because he is cool, confident, knows how to win. Mm -hmm. And this guy just keeps coming at him Mm -hmm. and he has no way out. And I think that is what's fascinating. And I think obviously that's what fascinated viewers and Mm -hmm. other creatives because they were like, oh, what can we do with a character that a protagonist is really like – Definitely up against, and they don't know a way around him. And one of the things you guys did was you had an entire fantastical land to go to where the gremlins exist and they're in peace until a bird swoops down and brings the danger into the real world.
1: Magic is all around us, but you'll never see it if you don't go out and look. (laughs)
0: How did that idea come about of the Mogwai being a society and safe from harm all like throughout the land until an invader comes in?
1: We started taking a pretty big view of what Mogwai could be and how they would interact with the world and trying to come up with something I felt rel- not logical because in a fun- weird way, like the whole fun of gremlins and Mogwai is not being logical, but yeah. w- it was like what kind of feels like a reason that these creatures would exist and have the rules imposed on them that they do um, so one of the first things we did, actually, as a writer's room, uh, Z, myself, and we had um, three staff writers and an amazing script coordinator, we all uh, brainstormed as many possible questions about Mogwai as we could think of. Like it was, OK, beyond just the why are there the three rules? It would also be that, like, how do these rules actually work? Like kind of the classic fan type of things of like, oh, when does midnight after midnight, when would that end? And also ranging it was even getting to questions like, all right. Do they do they procreate on their own or only through water? Like things like that. It's like <laughs> trying to just what's everything we could possibly want to address about them. And it eventually we got to the point of, as we were talking about them, was like, okay, um, this is the, I won't go too far into spoilers for the series, but it was, it started to make sense to us that like m- somebody had to create Mogwai as a test. Cause there is something about Mogwai and it feels something, honestly, about uh, the gremlin and the bug shorts of, it, it feels like it, this creature was almost created and put there to drive you insane or to test how to test your metal kind of thing. <laughs> so we landed on, cause that would make sense of the rules where it was like the, can you take care of something that's almost impossible to take care of? Yeah. Um, and that was kind of our beginning point. So it was like, okay, so then we could get to like there, let's start from the really cute, adorable place. Cause it was similar to the film. We were also using the thing of like, If you start on the cutest version, uh, start with the part that makes you just feel warm and snuggly and, oh my God, I want to root for this poor, poor gizmo kind of, you know, he's saving his people, but ends up in this terrible spot. It's like, your heart's just going to reach out to him. You're going to be right there with Sam of like, I want to take care of this little guy. And as such, you're basically entering into the worst like pet contract possible (laughs) of like, you're going to take care of something that is theoretically going to ruin all of human civilization.
0: That's amazing. I, and I totally agree. Like putting him in that scenario where, I mean, that entire world is adorable. Like I want to yeah, live there. Like, exactly. All those little gremlins or all those little mogwai running around. It's, it's, it's just so fantastic. And, and yeah, like he gets thrown into a circus kind of situation and, oh, it's awful.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> but, yeah. And then we just knew it'd also be, if you start that cute, um, people will be on board no matter how, uh, cause then we knew on the other end, like, we know the kind of gremlins gore we want to get to. Like once things yeah, start yeah. going bad where it's like, if you keep, you start cute and give them cute every now and then it's also earning the like body uh, horror as like kind of limbs are chopped off and gremlins exploding and stuff like that. It, uh, yeah. feel like you could balance it.
0: And the villain was so like interesting and traumatizing with the way that he dislocates his jaw. <laughs> to, yes. Like, suck souls out of people and yeah. then eat it like orbs. Like, like
1: (laughs) yeah uh credit to i want to say it was dan crawl who's our uh, supervising producer and kind of uh, really helped kind of define a lot of the visuals for the show um i think he's the one who landed on the giant jaw like especially at least that a specific visual of the eyes kind of almost rolling back into the head and kind of going glowing uh and then we also at some point early on for how to do the animation somebody's like oh well like what if we just make it look like it's a practical effect from the eighties with that kind of like almost like the kind of weird frame rate kind of feel and like sound effects of that, like clicking and unhinging. So it was like, if you were looking at like, kind of like how would, you know, how would poltergeist or how would like Beetlejuice have kind of done that kind of like stretching effect.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. So that was kind of the logic to it. And it was funny because it was one of those things of like, once you did it, it's like, oh yeah, this feels like a nightmare from your childhood.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't get that visual out of my head for days. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) It's our goal. Yes. And you you accomplished it beautifully. Our only concern should be the Mokwai falling into the wrong hands. Who's that? The wrong hands. The scope of this thing is so gigantic. Like, you go from, obviously, like, this community of people to a full on mystical realm through portals and worlds of gods and, and everything that encompasses that shout out to the storyboard team and like whoever created all of those environments. It is incredible to look at my favorite comes in episode three or three or four. It's whenever they go to the mystic mystical witch, who's, like, oh, yeah. harnessing the memories of everyone. Yeah. And um, it's, like, circling above them, and they have no recollection of who they are. And yeah. one guy thinks he's still 15 whenever he's, yeah. like, yeah. in his 50s. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, the tea of forgetting. And, uh, yeah, Mengpo's Tea House. Yeah, no, Um, yeah, all credit to you. So uh, Tara Ruping was our art director, and just her and her team did an incredible job. And it was always... Um, the cool thing is actually everything, we try to source it back to Chinese mythology uh, wherever possible. So it was like, even like with the Tea of Forgetting, it's interesting. because That's like not a literal thing from mythology, but it was like based on like lots of little pieces of it or kind of, um, yeah, just the choice of like the purple cloud and the colors and like trying to take like, okay, so these might have been like a real tea house at the time. But how do we kind of give it almost a haunted house kind of vibe at the same time? Like, it was always just the fun of trying to figure out... Uh, I don't know, we had a team that thankfully was way into world building so it was like every episode like what's kind of the standalone horror kind of feel like we do we wanted to do like the monster um like kind of a monster along the road type of thing which became our monster on a train episode and then we knew we wanted kind of like a more like demonic animal type of monster that they'd encounter and then it was the kind of isolated um like kind of, yeah, the tea house was like, oh, the place you stop at, that's a haunted house kind of vibe. And then the cabin in the woods with like kind of monsters outside was we got to our Zhangxi. Yeah. Um yes. Yeah, I mean, I think in our Little ideal version.
0: Night of the Living Dead.
1: Exactly. Yep. Uh, and that was our goal was like, OK, so what's our uh, Chinese mythology spin on all these kind of horror tropes, these kind of things you've seen? So it's like, OK, our haunted house will be this. Our cabin in the woods vampire or our cabin in the woods zombies would instead be. The hopping vampires. So it's like kind of little ways to do it all. Um, and it's funny because I think in our, if we had had more episodes, we would have had probably another 10 episodes like that. Like it was that kind of like we just kept brainstorming, like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this. There was like, remember, uh, there's some phoenix creature that had like poison feathers that we started trying to base an episode around. One of the writers had a pitch for something called Bloodface, which is like a more original creation, but like just such a bizarre concept that was super fun. Um, but it all it was a case of we always knew our back half eventually it was getting to the spirit market. And then kind of once you hit that, it's basically just like a, you know, ball rolling downhill of like, here's just getting increasingly more dangerous and everything we had to kind of hit from there.
0: So speaking of things that didn't quite make it in and you alluded to, obviously, this element of Gremlins not being in that storybook version. Mm. Oh, the yeah. Backstory of L. In this is yes. <laughs> is a different story than what you were initially had in, in mind. Uh, from what I understand, can you give the audience a little bit of a tease <laughs> as to what it might have been and why it was so pushed back upon?
1: It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was very reasonably pushed back upon. I, I'm very. We had amazing execs. We had amazing support from Amblin and Warner Brothers. Uh, in that everything else that we had, whether it was like. Chopping off limbs, uh, having humans die, all that. It was always the, yes, go further, that's fine. Except for Z's first draft uh, of... L, or I not remember, it was either Z or that episode's writer, Sarah Noboso. I forget who wrote the very first pass. The very first pass um, was basically a, please, no, go back. Um, I don't remember the entire thing, or I don't know if I... <laughs> at least I don't know if I can share the entire thing. But I do know the last part it got to a point of Elle's parents. I just maybe the line of like, and then the rats came that basically <laughs> is like, it got to like, after all these other horrible things, the final punchline was, and then they were devoured by rats. Like it was like this oh incredible, so that one was just the like, oh my God horror. And after that, it, we ultimately wrote three more versions and it was, uh, the still very clearly horrifying, very horrifying and very clearly dead uh, version still made it. But like, there was two more that were still like somewhere between devoured by rats and uh, just falling to their death. Uh, that uh, we, that did also got passed over. And I know, yeah, Sarah definitely wrote some of them also. I forget who wrote the de- the rats one, but I know one of them was uh, them being cooked in a moon cake by accident. They tried to rob something and get trapped and cooked into a moon cake. Uh, And I feel like there may have been another one that was fire based, but yeah. um,
0: Thank you for sharing that. I I was always interested in the other versions that (laughs) might've been, Uh, but definitely in the one that was chosen, it does leave Elle terrified and also very sad because her parents wanted to get away from her and to do to do it in that way is just so traumatizing, but it harkens back to Phoebe Kate's origin oh, yeah. of her dad dying in the chimney, and I and I love how that's just a continued mechanism in the story of, like, one of the characters has to have this really tragic backstory around her parents.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, it was the, because again, it was also, I think, early on we made a list of, like, oh, things we want to do, like, kind of an Easter egg of, or, like, you know, a callback to in some way. And somebody landed on because so we knew it's like, well, Elle's an orphan and like the most famous dead parent monologue of all time is in Gremlins. So it was like, if we're gonna go that way, uh yeah, it became kind of the fun, fun competition in the room of who can figure out the way to work it in. And uh, all credit to Sarah. <laughs>
0: amazing job. But again, the writing is impeccable. And we've got to talk about the female Gremlin that comes Mm. out of this and turns into the big bad at the end. I'm not going to give away how, but it's something that I, as a Gremlins fan, always wanted to see. Cool. And I'm so glad that it was brought to fruition in this way, because I feel like animation is one of the only mediums that you can tell the story in. And I think you utilized it very well. Can you talk a bit about The incorporation of this very specific character (laughs) uh, from Gremlins Two, mind you, like not Gremlins One, Gremlins Two, and how they personified pure evil and really going after Gizmo in this horrific yet child friendly way, (laughs) family friendly way. Um, Yeah, and and yeah, like just how that idea came about, and uh, and then I'm going to show you a photo because. Mm the love for this character still grows and is still present because uh, my wife and I went to Midsummer Scream last weekend. Okay. And someone dressed up as this character.
1: <gasps> oh, that's so awesome. Um, Yeah. So we, we always knew Claw was going to ultimately become our big bad by the end. Like that was a, something I think in Z's original pitch, we were working backwards from it. Um, But it was always a little bit early on of how we were going to get there of exactly What, you know, how Green would kind of bring about his own downfall, how everything else is going to get there. And one, two things. One was that Z had the pitch of trying to actually, like, oh, well, like, let's let the gremlins have gender or at least gender identity. And like, let's kind of play with that more. Like, it was cool that that's in gremlins too. And like, it just gives you even more distinct ways to play the gremlins because one of the things that i that i especially as a huge gremlins fan love i love the bar scene in the original i love in the second movie where they just start running with like more and more singular identity to all of them like they're fun as a big chaotic mass but like they giving them their own specific personalities and touches just just makes them even funnier and more fun to me so uh z had the idea like oh like claw as kind of like evil and like her accentuated body part rather than like the hair would be the claws and just some kind of fun things to play with and so as we kept running with her we got to two things one was the the visual gag that we play with in that last episode it was it's like well we've all seen gremlins attack a city one way let's try the complete opposite yes. um the other thing though was giving her knowing where it was always going to go it's like a little bit of a a little bit of uh tragedy and maybe almost even a little sympathy for her of like, if it is the, she can take a whole city, but the one thing she really wants is gizmo and she can't have him. Um, and once that lands on, it's like on the one hand, it's like, Oh, in like a normal movie, you could see that as like, Oh, it's the tragic flaw of the villain. And here though, one of the great things with gremlins that we learned, realized early on is like, take something very serious and genuine. And once you put it through them, it becomes hilarious because it's just like, they are ridiculous, but they're not characters who need to always, you know, be winking or playing. Although they can break the fourth wall and do that too. But like treating them with like utter sincerity and seriousness comes off ridiculous. Like her, like for Claw, it's like going into Claw's mind and seeing like what her versions of fantasies are is like totally sincere to her emotion, but also totally ridiculous to us because it is like her and Gizmo. Spoiler for where it all goes. Her and Gizmo having a wedding or things like that, that it's just like <laughs> her sincere emotions. You just don't expect it in that creature or in that way. So it just became something that started cracking us up and thankfully worked well as like, oh, like, yeah, this is kind of helps give a little bit of like, what's the one thing too far she does that's going to cost her here?
0: Yeah, I I think it's a wonderful trait and one that's not really delved too deep in within villains, uh, having Mm -hmm. them fantasize about something they can't have and then that being the thing that undoes them. And mm-hmm. you guys did that really well. And I also wanted to give a shout out to whoever animated the three gremlins, like the three stooges, whenever they're <laughs> in the the prison. And they're just like pulling antics on oh each other. God, so
1: tonight. much fun. Yeah. Our so storyboard funny. artists are so good with that. Yeah. And they were the ones, uh, our board artists ended up creating my favorite of the three stooges there. Um, the, the liquid gremlin in the jar. Because yes. early on, originally, it was just a case of, he vomited it up, it got cleaned away, that was it. They had the fun idea of like, no, no, it's still alive, blinking. And then it was like, let's keep it in a jar. And then it was, so, because we named the model, that model based on its look, that was Gaptooth. And then once he became the liquid version, it's like, oh, well, now he's Gooptooth. So it became then <laughs> Gooptooth living on. It was just always us thinking of like more ways, like, Let's keep Gooptooth around, which is how he got his cameo late in the season in uh, the ninth episode, where it's like, no, 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 we can't get rid of Gooptooth. He's too amazing.
0: There's a lot more amazingness to explore within this series. I highly recommend watching it. Go watch oh, every every episode of it. Um, here's the photo. Uh, from- oh, my God.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. This is from Midsummer Scream.
1: Fantastic, uh, Greta. Greta.
0: I'll be posting that on my blog as well as the Instagram when this goes live. (laughs) Brendan, I have one other question for you. Please. And that is, will we ever learn how Sam Wing lost his left eye?
1: Yes. If we get a season three, I will let you, because we've already made season two. Uh, (gasps) Yes. So season two is coming (laughs) sometime in 2024. We don't know more than that yet, but it is made. It will be coming. Uh, and we actually just finished post on it uh, very recently. So it's looking great. It's awesome. amazing. Um, and I will, though, just to keep expectations in mind, Z and I know how Sam loses the eye and what happens to him. Okay. It is not in season two. It is a story that we didn't get to. in season. it was in a very early pitch of season two that had way too much stuff for one season. That was an element in there. So as we were like, okay, we can't do every possible thing we want to, That came out, but we do have a story behind it. We know the answer to it.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that tease. Yeah. Brendan, hey, this has been amazing. Where can people find you online?
1: Uh, Sure. So I am uh, still on Twitter, which uh, I know it has a new name now, but it's Twitter. Um, (laughs) uh, As long as we're concerned. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, At B underscore Hay, H-A-Y. I'm also on Instagram at Brendan Hay Writer. And I'm also on Blue Sky at the one I always forget now. I think it's just B Hay and then whatever they are, B Sky. It, it, they have a far too – it's a great service that has a far too long uh, handle to remember. <laughs> I apologize. But, yeah. Uh, but basically, I'm usually – if you look either Brendan Hayrider or B Hay on any of the social medias, you'll find me
0: amazing and you can follow the podcast over at Instagram at this means podcast or still on Twitter at OFC this means pod and we also have a Patreon if you want to go support the podcast we would love it and just keep the conversation going whether it's Looney Tunes Gremlins Tiny Tunes whatever you like within the Looneyverse keep it going because as always that's not all folks keep it (laughs) Looney.
1: We ran out of gas. You know how it is with these A-carts.